This week's episode is brought to you by Bureau Veritas. At Bureau Veritas, each and every member of the team is by your side to help you navigate your decarbonization journey. This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. Today, we're off to Dubai, virtually of course, for the Global Climate Conference, COP28. This is the sound of the opening ceremony at COP28, the latest edition of the United Nations annual climate gathering. Sultan Ahmed al-Jaber, the United Arab Emirates industry minister and chief executive of its biggest oil company, hmm, interesting, presided over the ceremonies. This meeting comes at a time when the world faces many challenges. The most significant and crucial of which is the climate change and its impact on all aspects of life. Your Green Seas host couldn't make it, but my Tradewinds colleague Paul Peachy was on the ground, and you can find his stories on the Tradewinds news site. One of the things you'll notice from his stories is the centrality of fuel in the shipping industry's role in the global battle against climate change. The International Maritime Organization, or IMO, has set an ambitious goal for shipping, net zero by around 2050. But how is the industry going to compete for the fuels that it needs to get to that goal at a time when all other industries are under pressure to decarbonize as well? And they all need fuels too. But there's also a lot of nuances in what shipping stakeholders are hoping to come out of this climate conference. So in this episode, we're going to look at three perspectives. First is DP World, the giant logistics conglomerate that's based in Dubai. So this is its hometown COP. DP World has been busy during the climate conference. The company has teamed up with Pacific International Lines to trial biofuels and other alternative fuels on Dubai shipments. And DP World joined the First Movers Coalition, a U.S. government-led effort to bring companies together to tackle decarbonization. Jesper Christensen is the chief operating officer for DP World's Marine Services Division, and he's chief executive of Unifeeder, which runs a fleet of container ships. He said that this COP is important because it's the first of the annual conferences in which shipping, transportation, and logistics are being seen as a key component of the decarbonization journey for the whole planet. He referred to the oft-used statistic, a favorite of U.S. climate envoy John Kerry, that if shipping was a country, it would be the eighth biggest in terms of its carbon footprint. Bringing shipping to actually both be listened to, but also carry the burden and be put on the spot of delivering what would you know contribute to the eighth biggest uh, country in the world? I actually think that that's most probably above it all in the helicopter. That's most probably the most important part for shipping, as I see it, in this COP, which is obviously a a, a two-sided coin, right? Because of course it, it's getting the attention and getting the knowledge spread that it is an important sector, and there's like no decarbonization of this world if you don't decarbonize uh, shipping. On the one hand side and on the other hand side, then also us as a business uh, understanding and appreciating and accepting that that would also then give us a responsibility uh, to not only talk about it, but actually go out and do something about it. Christensen told me that there are three things that he would like to see come out of COP28. First is an acceptance of the fact that shipping can't decarbonize alone. It needs fuel suppliers to provide the greener energy to power decarbonization, and it needs demand for greener transport. It might be a, still a very difficult task, but it will only happen if all three parties realize that that can only happen 
uh, in collaboration. Annie pointed to the way IMO's global authority over shipping can create a level playing field so that industry carbon cuts don't just happen among a few first movers. That's important as the IMO discusses the policy measures to make its ambitions a reality, like putting a price on greenhouse gas emissions. The, the level playing field is most probably only established when you get an, an entity or a body like IMO to act. So I hope that the COP can participate in making sure that we all understand that taxing things, pricing carbon, uh, and getting IMO into that discussion is not an evil thing, it's actually a necessity. And then there's operational efficiency. I mentioned how central the discussion over alternative fuels has been, but Christensen doesn't want the world to lose sight of how much progress can be made by making existing assets more efficient. While we wait for all of these green fuels to be produced, to be made available, to be scaled up, I think it's important that shipping realizes that there's a lot of decarbonization possible by just doing what we do today more efficiently. And as I've said a couple of times out there, the most green ton of bonga that you can burn is actually that ton of bonga that you do not burn. It is super green, and it's, by the way, also super cheap. And we need to realize that if we, in the present situation, with the traditional ships, the conventional ships, the conventional fuel types, if we can get 10%, 15%, 20% more transport work done, that's actually also a form of decarbonization. I know it's super unvoke to say so, but it is nevertheless a truth. DP World has a goal of being carbon neutral by 2040 and having net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. And it wants to have 5% of its shipping on hybrid engines and zero emission fuels by 2030. On that path, the company has chartered methanol-fueled vessels and procured biofuels for its fleet. As I've also said a couple of times in, in COP, and as many others are saying, by the way, as well, um, there's not just one green medicine. And, and as a fact of a matter, we don't even really know whether all of these types of medicines will work. And so some of them might actually be green, but they might be unfeasible a few years down the road because they are not scalable or they will come out with a cost uh, ticket that is way too uh, expensive, etc., etc. So we don't know. So the, the starting point for any kind of reaching the 5% would be to accept that there's not just one solution. But there is a biofuel component to that. There is, in our case, a methan grain methanol component to it. And there might eventually, what we think right now at least, an ammonia component to it. Well, the two first ones, I'm pretty certain, and, and I'm actually so pretty certain that we have put money where our mouth is sitting. One voice of shipping at COP28 will be Blue Sky Maritime Coalition, a group of shipping stakeholders in North America that's planning to unveil its decarbonization roadmap at the event. David Cummins is the group's president. I think there needs to be real, tangible action started, not just talking about action, not just talking about all the hurdles that are there that keep us from taking action, but real action in the face of, regardless of how complex people think this is, and it is very complex, regardless of how much any one part of this value chain, this maritime value chain that anybody can control, or it should be about, regardless of what we control, regardless of how complex it is, how are we getting started? He told me that at these annual UN climate gatherings, maritime is often an afterthought, even compared to other transportation sectors. 
And it really is an industry that is out of sight, out of mind. You know, people see airplanes, they see trucks go by, they, you know, they hear about congestion on their streets and, and they understand rail and all that. And maritime is extremely efficient and just keeps going and, and it influences billions of dollars in, in the, uh, in the North American economies, you know, US and Canada is where we focus. But, um, you know, I, in, in that sense, a good outcome on shipping is shipping actually has a platform that's on par with other modes of transportation and other sectors, such as aviation and road transport. And, you know, again, what I worry about in COP is that's not something that's going to happen overnight. You know, even before COP and certainly after COP, we still have a very disjointed uh, system of how uh, different government regulators and policymakers are interacting with maritime, where we it still feels like there aren't dedicated funding opportunities and things like the IRA and, and other things for maritime. And you see, you know, where the governments are focusing, they're focusing on things like hydrogen hubs, which cross city power grids and, and lots of forms of transportation, which is fine, except when the government focuses on the supply side of supply demand economics, it never really works very well. You know, and so what I'm hoping to see is a lot more focus in terms of opportunities for either grant monies or 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 support of any kind that is specific to maritime and is much more focused on the demand side. Blue Sky's roadmap charts a path to net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 for the maritime transport sector in the U.S. and Canada through a variety of actions. They include tackling siloed approaches in shipping to enable digital optimization and accelerate green shipping corridors. The group also wants accurate emissions data collection, fuel production mapping, and innovative commercial and financial mechanisms. Like many, Blue Sky sees collaboration as a key to success. But there's a term that the organization and Cummins both use that I don't hear elsewhere in the discussions around shipping's decarbonization. A systems-based approach. When I asked him to define what that means, Cummins likened it to air traffic control. While there are pilots making decisions, there's an industry-wide mechanism, an algorithm, that keeps air travel safe. Like DP World's Christensen, he sees too much focus on fuel. There, the, and, and this is prevalent, not just in government, or, or, but across the entire value chain. There's so much focus on the future just looks like the same thing we do today, but we're using a different fuel that doesn't have as much emissions. And that's never going to work. You know, it's the whole system itself needs to be completely rethought in a very systems way to drive the efficiencies that we're going to have to have. Figuring out how to create demand for new fuels is an important part of that. But there's a lot of things that have nothing to do with fuels, too, that also have to be, we, we need innovative, disruptive thinking. Like, there's no monies available for, for vessels right now to build vessels. There's the, the other thing we've advocated very strongly with the U.S. government is to invest in measuring devices on the stacks of vessels and, and maybe maybe some sensing of, of every type of vessel. Because right now, we really don't, and we talked about this in the roadmap report, we, we don't have an accurate enough feel for even what our emissions are to even know if we're making a difference or if we're working on the right thing. As you might expect, environmental groups at COP28 have some things to say about shipping. At the Cryosphere Pavilion, the Clean Arctic Alliance held an event focused on its call for shipping to take rapid action to halt its impact on ice melting in the Arctic. Key to that is a focus on black carbon, also known as soot. We've talked about the black carbon feedback loop 
on this podcast before. Climate change has led to melting ice in the Arctic, and that makes it possible for more ships to sail there. But they emit black carbon when they burn fuel oil, which contributes to Arctic melting, which makes climate change worse. Ludmila Osipova is a researcher at the International Council on Clean Transportation, and she told the COP28 audience that there's also a health impact from black carbon. One study showed that actually the black carbon combined with solid particles emitted uh, above 40 uh, degrees north uh, accounted for more than 600 premature deaths only in 2012. And additionally, it can cause many respiratory issues, especially for vulnerable populations living in the Arctic area, cardiovascular issues. Uh, it increases risk of premature mortality, as I said, and also can um, increase inflammatory responses of the health. The IMO has introduced a ban on heavy fuel oil that starts next year, but its coverage is limited geographically, and it has waivers and exemptions. Osipova said if all those limitations and exemptions are applied, shipping's estimated black carbon emissions decline by just 5%. She said there should be a wider geographical reach for the ban, and all ships would have to do is switch to more refined distillate fuels instead of residual fuel oils. However, the residuals is the still most common fuel, but switching from residuals fuels um, to distillate doesn't require much work. It doesn't require engine, engine modifications and distillate fuels are available in any EU port. So if these ships that say in the Arctic, sailing in the Arctic switch to the distillates or use maybe LNG instead of residual fuels, like one of the ships that's shown in these maps, the black carbon emissions from these ships uh, would fail dramatically. It would reach from 50 to 80% reduction. And this can be basically done overnight by just requiring ships switching from residuals to the distillates. Osipova said she wants countries to limit exemptions and waivers to the IMO heavy fuel oil ban, and ships leaving the European Union should be required to use distillate fuels when they sail in the Arctic. She also wants short-lived climate pollutants, like black carbon, to be factored into how the IMO and EU measure shipping's life-cycle greenhouse gas emissions. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. I interviewed Sean Riley, the president of maritime software powerhouse Vessa Nautical, about its plans for the future. And he told me that a key area of growth for the firm is on the environmental front, as it helps customers integrate the impact of new emissions regulations into their commercial thinking. Consultancy UMass has calculated the cost of using zero-emission fuels on key container shipping trades that are targets for green corridors. It could cost $90 to $450 per 20-foot container, for example, on the proposed green shipping corridor between California and China. And Maersk Tankers has confirmed that it placed an order for 10 very large ammonia carriers. An affiliate of the Danish tanker pool operator teamed up with Japan's Mitsui and Company to place an order at Hyundai Samho Heavy Industries. Read the story and more at tradewindnews.com. Music for this episode is by Asha Tanalian from Pixabay.